Welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. Today we've got big news about Spider-Man and Venom and the Black Cat movie. We're looking at the homecoming box office numbers. We're also thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Infinity War, and its big cast, as well as a bunch of other little news stories. Then we'll continue to talk about the seasons of Marvel Television, looking at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, before we get into a main conversation about the fathers of the MCU for Father's Day. This is the MCU Exchange Podcast. And he may have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy. Today we are back with you guys and the usual crew. We have Adam and Rhiannon coming along uh, for the show. Uh, We are recording on Father's Day. And so this time we're going to do a special conversation about the dads of the MCU. As we were talking, we were amazed at how many father characters there are in the MCU, and that'll be our big conversation. But before we get to that, we are going to go through the news, and there is potentially gigantic news and potentially non-existent news that has hit this morning. Uh, We need to talk about Venom and... Uh, Silver and Black, which is the Black Cat Silver Sable movie, if you are um, behind on that, um, have been confirmed, kind of, maybe, not really, possibly, to be MCU films. So this was really awkward. Kevin Feige sat down with Amy Pascal to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming, and they asked about these two films, and Amy Pascal just starts talking about how those movies are going to be in the same world as Spider-Man Homecoming. It's interesting she said world and not universe, which I thought was maybe intentional, maybe not. She said uh, she kind of hinted that Tom Holland could be in on it. Uh, Body language experts could write dissertations about what Kevin Feige is or is not saying as she's (laughs) speaking this. Um, Adam, Rhiannon... I don't know, guys. Do you think this is real? Are these movies in the MCU? Are they not? Are they MCU light? Are they like half in the MCU? At this point, I'm so confused about what's going on. I think at this point, Kevin Feige is trying to figure out if he could get an NDA to hold on Pascal. You know, I'm guessing it's one of those situations when you're so high up that a non-disclosure agreement... You just assume that those people aren't going to reveal secrets. I definitely think it means that they are discussing something behind the scenes. I think they've probably brainstormed all kinds of things behind the scenes. And I think Pascal is really excited about it and hoping things will work out with Marvel Studios. But who knows? I don't think Feige wanted her to talk. Adam, what do you think is going on? Yeah, uh, Kev's face during that whole little clip is going to probably be the next best <laughs> reaction gif. <laughs> you know, Definitely. it's just like, <laughs> it's, I don't know, yeah, watching it, I mean, he looks at her and then he looks at the interviewer and then it almost looks as if he's like, hey, let's uh, let's make sure <laughs> this doesn't hit the internet or, or something, you know, that it just looks like he wants to really, really say something. Uh, I would be surprised, you know, if, you know, like uh, Rhiannon was saying, if, if they're talking about all this stuff behind closed doors, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, or the the other side of it is, I mean, maybe Sony's really trying to make um, Marvel buy the properties back or something. You know, maybe they're trying to 
get fans all sorts of hyped up so marvel's kind of forced to do it um yeah i mean i'm really impartial either way if they're if they are or aren't um i do think they probably have been i don't want to call this a leak but i think um it is something yeah i have two reasons why i believe that this is legitimate and reason one is i find kevin feige to be intelligent and also um, not a coward, you know, like, and so I have a hard time believing, uh, first of all, that Feige would be sitting there and be too stupid to know how fans were going to hear this. I'm pretty sure he knows how fans were going to hear this news. And I don't see him as like some sort of shrinking violet who would just be like, oh, I can't say anything. I don't want to embarrass Amy. You know, like, he's a really smart guy. I think if this was not true... He would have immediately jumped in and said something along the lines of, yeah, I really appreciate what Amy's trying to say there. While there's no formal connection between those films and and the Homecoming film, I can appreciate that we are trying to build a world that could be uh, inhabited by many other characters, even in a separate franchise. Right? Like, he could come up, if I can come up with that really quickly, I'm pretty confident that Kevin Feige can come up with that. And the fact that he said nothing like that says to me that there's something actually happening here. Um, The other thing, we talked about this a few weeks back, we heard this report that was of questionable background about the details of the Silver and Black film, and that they were going to include characters like Dominique Fortune, who we know Marvel has the rights to. Um, I tend to believe that that is not total baloney. I think that there is some of that in the script of an actual movie they're working on making. And if that's the case, then Marvel has come to the table and dealed with Sony to allow the use of that character and some other characters. Um, and so if if that's happening and if those things are going on, I think Kevin Feige is fully aware of what they're doing. And I think there is some sort of connectivity. Um, and so I don't know. I, I tend to actually believe this, that Sony is going to do this. Now, I think what may happen is that we will soon have varying degrees of canonicity in the MCU. I think it's very possible that people will say, well, here are the MCU movies, and here are MCU companion films that kind of are part of the universe, but they're not part of the universe. Um, I could be wrong, but I could definitely see them create a new kind of special place for the Sony movies that is kind of canon, but kind of not. I don't think fans will like that. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. But I could also be it being the best, you know, lemonade that they can make out of the lemons of Amy Pascal. So, anyways, is there any... Do you guys have any other thoughts on on that stuff? Are are you guys hoping this is true? I don't have strong feelings either way. I hope that if they do connect the universes, they do it in a way that makes sense. And that they do it fully. Not just like a little half-hearted, oh, here's Roxxon energy type situation but they need to absolutely like if new york is blown up they need to reference you know they need to live in a world where that has happened any thoughts on that adam uh do i hope it's true uh i mean i i'm very impartial you know the part of me that is interested you know wants to think i mean how how on earth they're gonna have a venom movie without spider-man and and all this stuff. And I mean, at this point, I, I really have no interest um, in the Silver Sable uh, bit. So, yeah. I mean, 
I guess I, it's just hard to get in. Or I, I'm not even <laughs> that interested for Homecoming, so you know where I yeah, stand. Yeah, I, I think that um, there's also the possibility, which is like the conspiracy theorist possibility, that they're actually planning something massive, and that at the end of Infinity War or at the end of Avengers 4, Tom Holland is going to end up with the black symbiote suit, and like the Russos wrote that in, and they've been planning it all along, and Feige knows this is going to happen... And they're just playing a really long con. I don't know if that's true, but I definitely can see why fans are, um, are you know, would want to believe that. And I can, it's kind of cool. I don't think it's beyond Feige to play a long game like that. And so we'll just have to see what happens. All right, uh, continuing with a little more Spider-Man news. Uh, the box office tracking is in, and right now it looks like Spider-Man is going to open to about $100 million. Uh, which would put it in about $35 million behind Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Now, the big uh, question on this is reviews. Rotten Tomatoes has become the real hitmaker uh, for Hollywood. Everybody wants a uh, certified fresh score. And so if the reviews start hitting in the next week or two and it does, you know, 95% fresh, I think that number could jump quickly. Uh, but assuming that number's right, it's going to come in you know, a solid third below um, what uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, or 25% less than Guardians of the Galaxy. Are you guys surprised that Spider-Man is tracking so much behind uh, James Gunn's space opera? Caleb, can you give us a little bit more information on how they come up with these numbers this early? Is it ticket pre-sales? Is it social media chatter? Is it prophecies you know like, um, so there how, how is some kind of with? weird alchemy that happens with this um i've not looked into it yet but i'm pretty sure spider-man pre-sale is on already for like imax tickets and things like that and so i assume that some hardcore numbers are in this i know that um some of the tracking sites start talking as early as i want to say 10 weeks or 12 weeks out but a lot of that is social media driven um and, you know, these things can be more or less, you know, accurate. We've seen some of them really undershoot and some overshoot. But at this point, they are starting to go not just on Twitter and Facebook and social media interaction, but they're also actually looking at hard numbers of, uh, for example, Fandango has data about what movies are being pre-ordered on Fandango and all that kind of stuff. So the numbers don't really surprise me. I I wouldn't be surprised if Spider-Man ended up being one of the lower grosser films because there have been how many Spider-Man films at this point? Five? It's the sixth. Okay. So fan, I, I, I mean, th there's the diehard fans, you know, there's those of us that follow it and we know what's going on here. We know this is an exciting thing for Spider-Man to be back in the MCU, but your everyday theater goer has been seeing Spider-Man. I mean, Dude had a Broadway show. He's just been out there so much. And while he is the favorite and he is the most well-known, it's possible that there's Spider-Man fatigue and burnout. And it'll be interesting to see if they're more on board once it comes out, if it really breaks into this new area. But I would hate for Spider-Man to be the first MCU flop. Well, and to be fair, $100 million, just to put this in, 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 in perspective... It is, I mean, it would be lower than the two Avengers films. It would be lower than Iron Man 3 and Guardians 2 uh, and Civil War off the top of my head. 
but I believe it would rank higher than any Thor film, the first two Caps, the first two Iron Mans. Uh, I'm not sure about that, actually. I don't have this as encyclopedic as I'd like. But anyways, like, it, it still is going to be top half of the MCU. It's certainly, you know, far and above. It's double the kind of numbers that you would see out of, say, Ant-Man. So, oh, okay. But I think that's interesting, that idea that uh, maybe we're at a place where old franchises aren't as good as new ones. Like, we've always talked about Marvel being at a disadvantage and that they had to start their universe with Iron Man and Cap instead of starting a universe with Batman or Spider-Man or Wolverine. But I think if what you're saying is right, it may, I think, I mean, it makes sense to me. It may be that it's easier to sell somebody on a first Black Panther movie than it is to sell somebody on a sixth Spider-Man movie. You know, at some point, you've just done it too many times. So, you have thoughts, Adam? Little to none. I I guess I'm not too worried about it, you know, because um, they got to be at least making three movies, right? I mean, that's that's darn near a guarantee. So, yeah, it's Spider Man. I anticipate it um, doing better than what they're saying now. I guess the other detail I should add on all this stuff is um, the other thing that really matters these days: is international box office. And some movies have different loads as far as international versus domestic. Um, Spider, the amazing Spider-Man two, for example, was a crazy heavy international load. I want to say they had like 70, 75% of the film's income came from overseas, uh, versus the United States. Whereas guardians was a little bit the opposite. This has actually been a surprise to me, but it looks like, um, it'll be 45 to even 50% of the overall box office will be North American for guardians Two. Um, so there's a chance that Spider-Man will actually pass Guardians internationally because, you know, um, China and Japan and uh, South Korea and Germany and the United Kingdom and all these other places will, will eat it up. Um, some of those international nations do, international nations, you know, other countries um, do tend to like a more established IP, um, you know, like Transformers always does, you know, great in China. And even though Americans, you know, like, have gotten to where they just mock Transformers, you know, endlessly, it still does really well in China, for example. So uh, I think that could could be a saving grace, and it could help. Uh, I definitely want Sony to make enough money on this that they think it's worth the uh, the Marvel uh, part of it. So, all right, uh, moving on to Guardians of the Galaxy, we have some Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 news. Uh, James Gunn says that he has already finished a first draft of Guardians 3, and there's this really interesting thing where um, he says that he wants to write something that's a continuity break, and he's really torn about whether to do it or not. Uh, It's not a major continuity thing. Uh, He says that there's that famous scene where the Guardians come through, and there is um, their mugshots, and there's sort of a listing of their associates and who they know and what crimes they've committed and all that kind of stuff. And apparently somebody in there had some detail that he wants to change. And he's really torn about whether to do it or not. Uh, Adam, is that a place where continuity is too important to you? Or are you are you hoping that he kind of holds the line and figures a way to write around it? Yeah, you know, I guess I was, I was looking through those, uh, what do you call them, mug shots or the booking <laughs> scenes. You know, I guess I can't really pinpoint what's so big that he'd want to change that's that's so darn important you know um yeah 
I mean, I'm pretty much after seeing the first two Guardians movies and and seeing what he's done with them. Um, you know, I don't think he can change. I don't think there's anything he can change at this moment that uh, will upset fans too much. You know, Rhiannon, do you have any thoughts on the Guardians three stuff? I have faith that James Gunn, if there is something. I know one of the issues that when you go back and look at those scenes was like that somebody was listed as an affiliate of a character, but maybe he wants to introduce him to that, you know, introduce that character more organically. And I think James Gunn can find a way to write his way around it. I think he can figure out whatever, make it logical and not break the continuity. Yeah. I'm imagining in my brain... Uh, a scene like at the beginning of the movie where like rockets on a computer and Quill's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I broke into the Nova Corps computer. These idiots have all this stuff wrong, you know, like, and like, <laughs> then we're done. We're fixed, yeah. you know, like no problems. Uh, I mean, it, it awesome. might seem like special exactly. fleeting, you know, but um, I don't know. To me, that's an easy way to fix it. And it's even a joke, you know, and like, we're done. So, <laughs> So uh yeah that's um it's kind of cool I mean it's it's neat to know that he's already written a draft I mean I think he had an idea of where he wanted to go anyway but uh it's uh it's it's cool Uh moving on to Infinity War I think we're going to get a ton of this micro news out of Infinity War for a long time Uh in the last week we find uh, the Russo brothers uh, have teased a picture of what looks like the safe where uh, or vault where Thanos keeps his gauntlet. Um, we're, it's that account that's not technically the Russo brothers and has never been confirmed, but we're pretty sure is the Russo brothers. And so that picture looked pretty cool. Benedict Cumberbatch has arrived on set of Infinity War. Um, it has been confirmed that uh, Denai Guerrera is going to definitely be in the cast of Infinity War. And... Um, just all kinds of those little things where we've seen more and more people, particularly from the Black Panther cast that have been confirmed to be in the film, people showing up. Um, we also know that Avengers 4 is going to start shooting relatively soon. I think I saw a July uh, date for the beginning of that um, picture. And so, uh, yeah, start date of July 17th for Infinity War Part 2, as it was listed uh, on the website we found it. So, um... I don't know. Anything stick out to you guys about Infinity War? I don't feel like there's a whole lot to talk about there. Um, but certainly seems like we're building up towards something pretty cool, huh? It is going to be so good. There was a... Uh, I think Hemsworth is at some uh, convention in Australia this weekend, I believe. And I was just reading some tweets from a panel he was uh, hosting, and he said something along the lines of... Um, to plan on a lot more villains than Thanos in it. So I thought that was interesting. I hope they don't do something and not make Thanos the main bad guy for whatever reason. You know, I just hope it's not too distracting. I guess I'm just ready to see a movie where Thanos kicks a bunch of butt. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of people in Infinity War. Well, and forgive me, I forgot the big scoop that we had this week. Um, we found out through um, sources that I don't even, uh, I'm not even aware of, uh, but apparently somebody close to what's actually going on has told us officially that Thanos 
Um, his Black Order, which is a group of characters from Jonathan Hickman's run on Avengers, that the Black Order is definitely going to be the sort of stepchildren or the uh, adopted children of Thanos. And so in the same way that Nebula and Gamora are Thanos' kids, that whoever ends up making the, the, the group that is the Black Order, they too will be the children of Thanos. Uh, there have been some rumors about that, but we can tell you guys... Um, someone that I trust that trusts someone else says that that's definitely happening. And so it is pretty cool, uh, to see that. And that's kind of cool for us to have that exclusive on the site. I I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that that fits, uh, their story really well. And, um, I think it could really, I think Gamora and Nebula are going to be shockingly important to the story in a way that even I did not expect they would be, you know? I think after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, they have to be a big part. I mean, they totally set them up to be the ones that have such an emotional, real reason to take Thanos down. So it doesn't surprise me a whole lot. All right. I'm just going to pick up a couple. Let's do a quick grab bag of news, and I'll mention three or four things, and then if you guys have anything you want to talk about any of those, we can, or otherwise we will be done. Uh, Other news uh, that came across this week... Uh, Henry Ian Cusick talked a little bit about his role in Inhumans. He's going to play a geneticist and a human character. Uh, that'll be interesting given that sort of the genetic makeup of the Inhumans and the Terrigen Mist is one of the more interesting things about that property. Uh, we got some more behind the scenes images from Jessica Jones season two, which is largely Jessica Jones, uh, looking like Jessica Jones, uh, Spider-Man homecoming released an app that had a character with the last name Warren. So some people are thinking that's a jackal Easter egg. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to film at the same time as Avengers 4. That's not super surprising. Uh, Captain Marvel has a official working title, and it is Warbird. Uh, Marvel Studios is going to have a new logo for their 10th anniversary, um, which is kind of cool. It'll be kind of a special thing to commemorate 10 years. Uh, If you look back to what things looked like when Iron Man was announced, it is kind of awesome and crazy that uh, it's been 10 years. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Luke Cage are both on Emmy shortlists for uh, special effects, I believe. And, um, oh, we have one last news piece after that, but any of those stories of any interest to you guys or just, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm mostly interested in that big piece. Do you need to tell me Iron Fist got snubbed on shortlists? Yeah, man, no no Iron Fist special (laughs) effects. The full 30 seconds that they put in there of the Iron Fist apparently wasn't enough. Bummer. Yeah, Iron Fist got completely... It didn't get that um, theme nomination yeah. that Daredevil and Jessica Jones got. It didn't get the um, stunts. I mean, it took Daredevil to season two to get stunts. So maybe Iron Fist will go for that in the second season. On Iron Fist, though, I have heard on another podcast that there technically was no... Um, there wasn't even a stunt coordinator on Iron Fist. Like, they didn't officially have somebody in charge of stunts. Yeah, they definitely had a stunt coordinator. Definitely. Uh, 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 It's a friend of a friend of mine. (laughs) I don't know the name right now off the top of my head, but I know there was one. Okay. Maybe it was a fight coordinator? Are those different things? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I won't name any... I've I've heard several times on another podcast that there was no fight coordinator on Iron Fist. And so that's part of the reason the fights were not very good, is because there was literally no one in charge of choreographing fights so 
Which, if true, please, just shoot me now. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> All right. Uh, the big news you guys have always, you've been looking for, uh, forward to. Adam, do you want to break it to us? The sad thing we learned about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week? It has... Oh, man, I'm choking up just talking about it. It has... <laughs> it has been confirmed that uh, Grant Ward um, is done with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not going to return this season, huh? Oh, hopefully not ever. (laughs) Yeah, he's done. Um, Bummer, right? I was kind of interested just to see how how they could possibly bring him back. Like, at this point, it just becomes like an Easter egg that is so hard. Like, he should start doing Stan Lee type appearances where he's just like in the background of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. somewhere. Exactly. There's at least one Grant Ward cameo. I... I wouldn't say per episode, that's way too much, but they they got to have some sort of Easter eggs. What I was really surprised about was the fan reaction to this, because I know, I, you know, I know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans are passionate, and they a lot of people really like Grant Ward, but I was really surprised at how some of them were just like, yeah, it's nice, it's, they gave him a nice farewell. Was that a Freudian slip? I'm pretty sure I heard old nude footage of Brent Ward. Okay, just so we're clear. They they seem to really, um, even the people that extremely liked Ward, some folks commented, you know, that that he's he had a good run, he was redeemed, he got a good goodbye, and they're glad it's over. So I really expected some fan outrage on that, and I expected. Um, yeah, I was very careful. I got to craft this article. It was one of the favorite articles, favorite articles to write, not because I was excited about him leaving, because I really enjoyed Ward in the Framework, but just, I wanted to make sure that I did S.H.I.E.L.D. fans well in getting that written up. Yeah, I can say that um, I have yet to figure out Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans totally, their kind of psychology uh, it's clear from the website they are rabidly in love with this show, and that is awesome. But, um, yeah, they just uh, they like it in a way that I can't quite understand. I, I enjoy the show, but, yeah, they're definitely into it pretty hardcore. So uh, we, we, def- we don't want to cross you, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans. We, uh, we, we appreciate your listens. Speaking of crossing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, we need to talk about our rankings. This is something we've been doing all summer. We've been going through... Our MCU television seasons, we ranked them 1 through 11, and we're going through them season by season. And some of you who love ABC stuff have started to think to yourself, wait a minute, it seems like all the Netflix stuff is at the top of the list and all the ABC stuff is at the bottom of the list. And all I can say is, yes, you're right. And yes, you're going to hate this. Um, I will not reveal, you'll have to listen each week, week to see where Iron Fist comes in. But I just, we're going to lose listeners. There's just, subscribe, subscriptions are going to fall. It's going to be bad. But this week, we are on number eight on our list. So far, we had Agent Carter Season 2 at 11. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3 at, no, I'm sorry, that's backwards. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3 at 11. Agent Carter 2 at 10. Agent Carter 1 at 9. And this week at uh, number eight on our list is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2. Now, if you are trying to think, what season is Season 2? Uh, this reveal. This was the reveal that Daisy is an Inhuman. Uh, this was the Mister Hyde stuff um, from um, Daisy's past. 
and also there was some things in that about uh, Jaying and the history of afterlife, and we got introduced to Lincoln and uh, Reyna was transformed and then killed. Um, I don't know. I think that's the big stuff. And the whole time they are coping with the fact that Shield is now underground after the big revelations of Agents of Shield season one. So looking back, guys, uh, what did you like and dislike about Agents of Shield season two? And why is it this low or this high? However you think about that. Honestly, I don't remember why I would have ranked it this low, other than the fact that just when you get above it, there's just starting to be such good stuff on our list. So I think really, as we go on the ratings from here on out, it's not, hey, I didn't like this. Or, you know, well, I mean, I don't think any of it was that we didn't like it. But anyways, I really loved the inhuman development line on this season. I loved Reyna. I loved seeing Sky turn into Daisy getting to meet the whole inhuman universe. I don't remember a lot about what was happening outside of that storyline, but it was an enjoyable season to watch. And at that point I was binging. Um, I think I binged first and second season. So I got it all at once and it didn't, you know, I think it's just hard to be awesome when you're putting in 24 episodes. But overall, it had a lot of great stuff. Yeah, the other thing I forgot to mention is the whole first half had this whole Phil Coulson is going crazy and like drawing this map like with sharp objects into the walls of his office or whatever. Um, I loved. Yeah, that I felt like on. it just went on long. You know, like I just felt like a tease that kept going and going. I do have to say, as someone who enjoys the Inhumans, I. I was impressed. I, I probably didn't know as much in human stuff back then, but I was impressed that we didn't see it really coming. Uh, maybe other people did, but when, when it was turned out that these obelisks that they were collecting were actually Terrigen, that was just not something that had crossed my mind. And I feel like uh, Sky had been embedded on the show for a long time, and I didn't hear, oh, she's Quake rumors until like the episode where she's revealed to be Quake. And so... I enjoyed all of that, and I felt like they kept those those plot twists pretty uh, pretty under wraps. Uh, so, Adam, do you have thoughts on this uh, season of Agents of Shield? Yeah, um, I mean, Calzaba was one of the best parts of the season. I thought I just really like McLaughlin's uh, portrayal of him. You know, it's it's one of the cases where um, I'm very happy uh, Shield introduced the pod thing uh, this year because it's it's another one of those cases where it just goes on and on and on and on um at the end though i was in the back of my mind you know we have it in humans now and um i don't know i had this irrational thought that we'd like get a lockjaw cameo or something just because he was turned into the vet and like the last time we saw him there was like a bulldog walking to his office um but yeah no it's just it's just one of those types of things where um it just seemed like it was really long and and drawn out yeah i feel like this this season did suffer from lots and lots of characters like if we go back and look at it that season introduced us to crusher creel as the absorbing man it introduced us to um whoever lucy lawless played for a little bit it gave us hunter it gave us um bobby 
it gave us, uh, I guess it didn't give us Trip, but he was pretty new before that. Uh, and then we got Jaying, we got uh, Lincoln, we got all the Afterlife stuff, uh, we got Zabo, we got Zabo's little team for just a little while. On top of that, it gave us the um, a Gordon, you know, the trans the transporting inhuman, and then there was the secondary shield, like the shield that thought they were the the shield that had survived that were on that boat, that had you know um, the general from Battlestar Galactica, and had the uh, the multiplying woman was in that seat. You know, like there's just a lot of characters that got kind of thrown at us that season. And it kind of felt like they were just trying to chuck stuff at the wall and see, like, what stuck. And it's just... That's why, when I look back on it, it's just very chaotic in my mind. Uh, Generally speaking, when it comes to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., my belief is the show gets better and better and better as time goes on. So my rankings are very easily, like... I think each season deserves to be ranked higher than the one before it. Which is obviously not the case from other people, because we've already done Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3. But, you know, that's that's just kind of my take. But I just remember this one of feeling kind of muddled. Um, the other thing I remember, though, is I remember really liking the finale. Uh, the finale is where we had Coulson's hand get cut off. And uh, it's also the very last um, post credit scene was Gemma getting sucked into the monolith. That thing was actually very carefully set up the whole time. Uh, and I think there was some Hydra stuff. I think there was a point where they finished Hydra for good for the sixth time, you know in the middle of this season as well. Uh, I just remember them assassinating a lot of Hydra people and being a little surprised that Coulson pulled the trigger on just like straight up assassinations. So, um, yeah. Any other thoughts on agents of shield season? Oh, this was also the season where, um, Fitz had his, um, his oxygen deprivation. Oh, his stutter. Yeah. All that kind of stuff was there. Fitz stutter. And I loved that. I loved watching Fitz recover. I mean, I love Fitzsimmons in general, but that was so much fun to watch. All right, let's go into our main conversation. And like I said, uh, this is an idea we came up with today. Uh, We're just going to talk about fathers of the MCU. It is Father's Day today. It obviously won't be when this is released. Um, But as I started thinking about it, there are a ton of fathers in the MCU, and we just thought it would be kind of fun to talk through it a little bit. So... I guess let me start with this big general question. Um, Is it possible, or do you guys agree with the following statement, that fatherhood is the biggest theme that runs throughout the entire MCU? I guess I've never thought of it that way. I mean, I would say so in the last movie we watched, of course. Um, There aren't a whole... I mean, there's a lot of father... I mean, if you look behind the themes of responsibility and guilt and all of the superhero themes, you know, the the common hero themes, but I don't... There are definitely a lot of daddy issues in the MCU. Yeah. I guess my thought with it is um, when I look back on it, uh, you know, we've had 15 movies there are several of the movies that are very explicitly father-themed movies. Iron Man 2 has a ton of stuff about Howard and Tony and Tony coming to grips with Howard. And um, Ant-Man was very explicitly the film about two fathers dealing with their kids in Scott Lang and Hank Pym. 
And then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was another movie about fatherhood and what it means to be a father. And so, I mean, it's probably a stretching it too far to go beyond that. But um, when you look at, you know, it's not a small thing for three of your 15 movies to have like really heavy themes about fatherhood and looking to fathers. And it's particularly interesting to me because uh, like if you watch Disney movies, Disney movies are generally obsessed about moms. You know, like there's a lot of mom issues in Disney movies. And so I just find it really interesting that I feel like uh, we have a lot of fatherhood stuff in the MCU. Um so the, we've we've come up with a list of lots of dads in the MCU. So let's just start with this. Who is the best? Um, we'll start with the best non-superheroed father. Who is the best hero without, or the best father without powers in the MCU in your mind? The best. So, so we're saying like the the best. Like who was the best dad? Who like not yeah. our favorite, but who was the actual best father type figure? Yeah, right. Hmm. Does Scott Lane count as having powers? Uh, yes, he'll have to because if not, we're gonna start running out pretty quick. <laughs> power people. I mean, we could go through the list of who 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 we're counting in this category yeah. of the people we came up with, okay. and I'm sure. So here's the, I mean here's the ones I have: yeah. Howard Stark, uh, Mac from Agents of Shield, uh, Baron Zemo from Civil War, uh, Kilgrave's dad. Um, he's in it less, but Luke's dad. Uh, I would include Pops. I think he's a father figure. Uh, Jack Murdoch. Uh, we'll include Harold Meacham as non-powered, even though he goes kind of crazy. Uh, Wilson Fisk's dad. That's on the list. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Those are the non-powered. Which of those? Which of those guys? Did you did you really enjoy as characters, and you felt like were a good example of being a good dad? Oh, good example of being a good dad. I mean, Pops is one of the best dads on that list you know taking in all the kids of harlem and really trying to get them on the straight and narrow yeah as far as characters the zemo storyline killed me um when you realize that you were that he was listening to a voicemail and that his family was no longer alive that just hit me in the gut um but i have no idea if he was a good dad or not (laughs) right he probably wasn't Adam, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm just trying to see. That's the thing. I mean, you got a guy like Zemo, where you know, in the movie, he's technically a bad guy, but he's a bad guy because he's, I don't, you know, he's a bad guy because he's a good father, almost, you know, or he's at least heartbroken, I guess. I mean, then you have guys like obviously Pops and Jack Murdoch, who, well, he gives up his life essentially, so to not disappoint matt you know um obviously harold beecham's not in contention for the best dad award but uh yeah i guess it just i mean i don't know if i could i mean then you have mac i mean you know that was his role as a father was essentially the whole framework storyline you know i guess i don't want to i don't know if we're going i mean who's the best father i mean i think we'd have to go with framework mac almost you know because we've i don't know see that's the thing it's tough it's tough i mean i don't think i mean i think probably the only bad dad on the list is probably harold meacham you know <laughs> uh well fisk's fisk's dad as well probably um yeah. i mean we didn't see much of luke's dad 
So I, I guess I don't, I, I don't have an answer for who the best non-powered dad is. You know. By the way, this I is what argue- happens when you do a weekly podcast and you get to about week thirty. <laughs> is you start asking questions like this. Well, I mean, I would argue against Jack Murdoch, though. That one. Oh, no. Well, here. I mean, okay. So, yes, he gave his life. He didn't give his life for his son. Like, it wasn't like Matt was in danger of being murdered. And he said, oh, please take my life instead. It was that he gave his life for Matt to have money. But in return, Matt got to be raised by Stick. Or the orphanage or whatever. I mean, it all turned out okay, but I'm not sure he made the best decisions as a father. See, this was... Uh, I love Jack Murdoch. So, like, as I rewatched the Netflix shows this summer, Jack Murdoch is, like, one of my five favorite characters in the whole MCU. I just... Wow. Ugh. So, as I watch it, you know, I don't know. I don't want to pull my, like, as a dad card, but... Like, just watching him try to negotiate reality versus what your kid needs is really interesting, you know? Like, he kept taking all these falls because he was making money taking the falls. And he had to pay his rent. And he had to let him and Matt have a successful life. And he knew he wasn't going to be a good enough boxer to, like, care for his son doing that for a living and winning. And so he did these things. But then you start to look at your kids and you start to realize that, like food on the table is one thing, but your kids also need to like, they need to have certain senses of self-worth and they need to have a sense of value and they need to have a sense that their family and their parents are important and good people. And like, I just love that Jack has this moment where he's like, it's possible that food on the table, but throwing fights is worse for my son's sense of personhood than him seeing, like, hearing me fight, uh, win one, or or seeing me win one. And so, like, that, like, torturedness that he has and his decision to make that, and the way that he teaches Matt to, like, go to school and go beyond it and to learn more and to live a better life, and the fact that, like, he totally sacrifices himself to make sure that Matt has the future he can have. Um, I don't know. I don't see it as him doing it to make, to get Matt money for the rest of his life. I saw it as, like, he was actually going to throw it for the day-to-day substance on the table. And in the end, he was like, my son needs to be inspired to be something more. I'm of the belief that if you watch that show, part of what the creators were trying to say is that the only difference between Daredevil and Kingpin are one of them was raised by Fisk and one of them were raised by Jack Murdoch. Like, Daredevil is who he is because he was raised by Murdoch. And if he had had Fisk as a dad, he would have been just as much a scumbag. Does that make any sense? I think I've talked too long on this, but like, I really no, love no. Jack you're making Murdoch. a lot of sense. You're making a lot of sense. It, yeah, you could sway me. <laughs> I think as you watch that, particularly that first season, you can tell that Matt is trying to live up to who he thought his dad wanted him to be. You know, like that was that's just really huge, and it's what drives him. So anyway, I love Jack Murdoch as a character. I think he's awesome. Um. All right, so let's talk about some of the powered superheroes. And we can just, you know, we can, obviously a lot of these are not great people. So instead of best dad, just like, who are your favorite characters of these fathers? So uh, super powered fathers of the MCU include uh, Odin, 
Hank Pym, Scott Lang, Ego, The Living Planet, Yondu, Drax, uh, T'Chaka is kind of in there. We think he was Black Panther. We don't know that for sure yet. Um, who else? Uh, Ultron, if you really want to count him as giving birth to Vision. And then uh, Daisy's dad, Mr. Hyde, is the other one I have on that list. Do you guys have a, a favorite character out of those? I know we've had all day to think about this, but I would oh, say oh, sticks on this list too. Yeah, sticks. Oh, on yeah. the list too. The best dad? I, I would probably have to go with Scott Lang. Uh, that, I would guess it's probably unanimous between the three of us that we can all agree that Ego's the worst dad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> generally a pile of your children's bones in the basement is not a yeah. good thing to have. Yeah, I guess I would probably have to go with Scott. You know, that's, I mean, that's why he's Ant-Man, you know? Yeah, yeah, Scott Lang. Though, I mean, Yondu and Drax. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if I'm ranking them so high in my head because they're the ones we last saw and that last just, like, tore at my heartstrings. Or if, like, you know, in reality, they compare up with all these others. Um, but they both, you know, Drax, the idea of avenging his family gave him the motivation to be a guardian of the galaxy. And, uh, I, I don't yeah, I really, what I enjoy about a lot of these characters is that they flesh out, like, a really true thing about being a parent generally, but you know, being a father, like, um, sometimes you do stupid things or you make mistakes because you're trying to do the best you can, but you really don't know what you're doing. And so like, I love characters like Mr. Hyde or even Yondu, like these, these dads that are clearly flawed, like, um, Zabo is, is, is a total mess, right? Like he literally turns himself into a monster to find Daisy but at the same time, if I had a child that had been taken from me when they were a baby and I was trying to discover them, like, I could see myself turn into a monster, too, you know? Like, I feel like that's something that Marvel's done really well to write these characters, is that the dads do what they have to. I feel like I like Stick a lot more watching the shows again than I did originally, because Stick is trying to do what's best for Matt. And when he feels like Matt is getting too connected to him and too emotional with him... It's not that he doesn't want it, it's just he knows that's not going to be beneficial for the war that's coming, you know? And so I kind of love that that dynamic in some of these characters of, like, I need to do what's best for you, even if that doesn't make me look like a good guy. You know, which I think is really kind of challenging and interesting. Alright, so um, let's let's do this one. Who is the, uh, I think we got into it a little bit with Meacham. Who is, hands down, the worst dad in the MCU? Like, which of these guys would you never entrust your children to? We talked a little bit about Ego, but, uh, you know, who else in here? Who's just, who has done some terrible mistakes in fatherhood in the MCU? Okay, and we're just taking Ego out of it. Because he who has, like, (laughs) a vault of his children's bones. Right. We can all agree on that one. I mean, if you want to talk about it more, you can. But yeah, I think we're all pretty confident that that's, that's no good. 
I mean, Odin was a bit of a jerk. Yeah, he was actually on my list. That's one of the reasons I brought this up, is I think... Uh, I don't know if there's much redeeming about Odin in the Thor movies. Do you like him as a character, or is he generally a negative character in those films? I'm trying to think of, like, some twist. You know, I'm taking your words of fatherhood, and, you know, doing things for the good of your child, and, you know, I guess Thor probably is a somewhat better person because he was cast out. But I'm just not... Yeah, Odin's just not striking me as a highly redeemable father figure. Well, I think more than that, it's managing the Loki-Thor dynamic. You know, like, all the issues of, like, you know, you bring in this frost giant, but then you don't tell him exactly that he is a frost giant, and then you always favor Thor because you don't really treat your adopted son quite as well as you're treating the regular son. Like, all of this is terrible. You could you could suggest that all of the chaos from Loki throughout the universe is all Odin's fault for just totally mismanaging their childhood, right? Absolutely. Yes. Adam, do you have any thoughts on just terrible dads of the MCU? Um, you know, outside of Ego, I'd probably say the next worst is probably Harold. You know, that's kind of he's certainly not a uh, kids first type person. Um yeah, I don't know. Harold's a pretty bad dad. Um, Odin wasn't that good either, no. Ultra, I mean, Ultron, you know, Ultron's the kind of the, in the, the MCU at least, you know, I'm not sure that was who Ultron really is, you know. Um, yeah, Fist Dad was a jerk, big old jerk. I guess... Outside of Ego, if I had to choose the worst father, I would probably go with Harold. As much as I liked him as a character uh, in the show, um, yeah, he was just a plain old not good dad. I feel like, to me, um, Harold versus uh, Fisk is kind of a comparison in why Daredevil was such a better written show. You know, like, um, Fisk's dad is not a good guy. Okay, he's clearly kind of a monster and he kind of deserve you know he deserves what's coming to him you know when when Wilson takes care of business but on the flip side like uh you can see him as a terribly misguided person that's still trying to raise Fisk to do to be a certain kind of person you know like he clearly treats Wilson the way he does for a reason and i think at some point kingpin even says he does the best he knew how to do you know whereas Harold Meacham there's no, like, there's no likability. Like, you never even feel like Harold cares about his kids. He's just completely, like, the most self-absorbed character who has no interest in anybody else. And, like, the willingness of him to turn on Ward Meacham and others is just, it's just despicable. He's just so, he's so terrible. So, um, I also thought it was interesting, uh, re-watching some of these shows, Kilgrave's dad was really just, <laughs> he's a real piece of work, right? Like, just what a snival, like snivelly whiny grumpy you know like i don't know he just you could see where where kevin got some of that stuff with him i feel like so well and and kilgrave's dad you you get a lot of um i mean i know people just like him that are like i did everything for you why don't you love me you know and and or i did all of these things for you why don't you love me because kilgrave's dad his parents in general he actually had two living parents, which is rare in the MCU. Um, you know, they ultimately had his best interest at heart. 
they were trying to do a really good thing and they screwed up horribly. And, and they, uh, so it's just sort of like, they just sort of sucked at being really great parents, but their intention was all good. Yeah. I really loved though, that show really played back and forth. Like whether you believed them or not, they were like, he had a disease, he needed help. And Kilgrave was like, yeah. I didn't need so much help that you need to put me on a table and put a, you know, like needle through my neck. Like, it's really interesting right. to me. I don't feel like it, they ever settled that. They allowed that to be an interesting ambiguity of whether you believed the parents or you believed Kilgrave about who was really at fault in that whole thing, you know? Yeah. All right. Um, before we wrap this up, uh, I don't know. This is a question I just came up with. Um, we'll see if it works or not. Uh, do you guys feel like there's any MCU dad that is the closest to your dad? That's a very good question. So I dropped it on you. I'll talk a little bit and let you think. Um, So I think if I had to like force fit somebody, um, uh, you know, I would kind of, I might take a Scott Lang actually, um, as far as like really um, always has best intentions, but just the execution sometimes gets a little mixed up, you know, like, Scott Lang really is great for his daughter and he wants to be with her. But then every once in a while, he just, you know, it just doesn't always come out the right way and he doesn't always navigate it, you know, always the best. So I don't know. I feel like that would be a fair one. Um, My dad's awesome. I love him and he's really good. He just, uh, you know, when I was a kid, there were just times he wasn't used to having kids, you know, and like he had to figure out what that looked like. So uh, I don't know. I guess that would be the closest one for me. You guys have any thoughts yet? I'm still trying. I would, yeah. I don't. I think I'm almost kind of in the same boat as you, Caleb. Uh, but I want to. Yeah, I have kind of a mix between Scott and Jack Murdoch of sorts. You know, it's just like uh, I don't want to say gritty. <laughs> he's a gritty dad. My dad's but... gritty man. <laughs> but no, he's just kind of. Uh, I don't know. He. I don't know. I don't think he listens to this, so I could probably say he's a little rough around the edges of sorts, you know, but he's probably the most genuinely nicely guy I know. Like, going to C2E2 with him, all he did, he didn't go, all he did was talk to pretty much every single person in Artist Alley. You know, that's what he does is is talk and talk and talk. He can have a conversation with someone for, for an hour, you know, and he doesn't even know the person. Um but if you look at him, you're like, well, this is one mean dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But, yeah, I'd say probably a combination of those two guys. you have any thoughts, Rhiannon? I'm going to go more towards Mac. Um, we, we don't know a whole lot about Mac, but his life revolves around his daughter. I mean, yeah, we... we don't know a huge amount of... But my dad was one of those that's like, you know, here... Let me show you how this works, you know, when I got my license and all, I'm making sure I knew how to change a tire and check the oil in my car and all this stuff like that. And so Mac seems to be a fabulous father or that he would have been if he had gotten the chance. Um, and it, my dad's just awesome. And I'm not just saying that because he could listen because <laughs> I really doubt it. But no. my, you know, um, yeah, I never doubted that like his world revolved around me. And that if needed, he would go to another dimension and try to live there and risk his life by staying there to be with me. Like, that all sounds like stuff my dad would do. 
All right, that's really sweet. We should end on that note. That's lovely, Rihanna. <laughs> to all our listeners, if you're a dad, happy Father's Day. Um, if you've got a good dad, tell him so. And if not, uh, tell whoever else it was that was important in your life uh, to help you be who you are. So, um, But anyways, yeah, thanks for going on this journey. Uh, I know that some of you are saying, what about Mother's Day? You guys didn't do this on Mother's Day. That's because we didn't record on Sundays when it was Mother's Day. So uh, I don't know, maybe we'll do it next year if you guys like it. So. Uh, that's the main conversation for today. I'm going to move real quickly into mailbag and then we will be done. Um, so, uh, let's start out with, I'm just going to read the website comments today and I'm not going to read them all. We'll go through them quickly. Uh, but there's a lot of them. Thank you for interacting. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, love waffle, uh, was talking about women in the MCU and uh, really talked about how he felt ABC is the one that's really leading the way, even more so than Netflix. Uh, he said basically Jessica Jones and ABC are the ones that are doing that um, really well. So he also, and I thought this was really awesome, we, he talked about the problems of love interests. And he said um, sometimes the uh, problem of love interests is not just a female character problem. He said like if you want a, a useless love interest, just link it, look at Lincoln Campbell. Which I thought was really kind of funny, you know, like, Lincoln was the male version of that only here for love interest issue. I don't know if many people like Lincoln. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then Chris followed up with a comment, sometimes I totally forget that Lincoln even existed. So, that's uh, that's good. And then uh, Chris and Love Waffle also were talking a little bit about our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. rankings, which, as I said, you guys are not going to like very much. Um... Fanamir um, thanked us for not reporting on a rumor about who Michelle is in the MCU. If you notice, we've not talked about that on the site. Uh, it seems to be of questionable legitimacy. So thanks, Fanamir, for uh, encouraging us when we chose not to talk about it. Um, Gary Wintle mentioned that we did not talk about Tilda Swinton or Scarlet Witch in our Women of the MCU episode last week. Uh, very good point. Uh, they just didn't come up, but I think you're right that those are important characters when talking about the MCU. Uh, Simon Shepard was on here too, with a lot of deep cut comic talk about Scarlet Witch. So if you want to see more of that, you can go to the website. Um, Dave was suggesting that we talked about Carnage the Musical last week, that uh, he would like to see Hawkeye and the Hawkeye Initiative, uh, a Trey Parker and Matt Stone reality stone warped world. So. Um, yeah, so that's really interesting. So, um, yes, cool. And, uh, I think that's it. That's most of our comments for this week. Thank you for interacting with the show. As always, if you want to support our show, if you will, um, go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, leaving a five-star review is the very best thing you can do. You can also interact with us on Twitter at hashtag MCUEXPOD. I did not get those this week, so I'm sorry if I missed anybody. We'll try to catch you next week. Uh, you can also interact on Facebook and like the posts. You can like us on SoundCloud. Uh, all those are places where you can interact with us and the site. Generally speaking, always go to MCU Exchange for all your latest news and speculation and reviews and all that kind of stuff. We try to keep you up to date with everything that's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think that is all that uh, I have for today. Let me also encourage you to go read a feature that we have up about... Uh, Marvel's need for someone to be in charge of the cinematic canon. That's from a new writer we have, and it's really a good piece, so you should check that out. All right, guys, uh, go ahead and uh, tell the folks goodbye and where they can find you, and we'll be done. 
You can find me on the Twitter as Shot of Patron. And if you need some non-MCU stuff, super laties, this next week we'll be having our own Wonder Woman discussion. And Marie will be on there and a bunch of other women. And you can find me also on Twitter at Adam Barnhart. Uh, I think that does it for us, guys. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody.